Digital Gonzo, episode 143, recorded January 20th, 2013, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, part 1. This is the first of two shows chronicling the various incarnations of the green shelled ones to discuss their rise to insane popularity, decline into wretched obscurity, rebirth and journey towards quality. I have with me Mr. Neil Taylor of Gameburst. Hello. And Mr. Matt Ramsey of Dork Tunes. Hello. This episode, we will begin with their first comic book appearance in 1984 and take you all the way up to the live-action TV show that pretty much killed the franchise in 1998, paying particular attention to the first movie. Next time, we'll cover the animated re-emergence in 2003 all the way up to the 2012 Nickelodeon series focusing on the 2007 CG film simply titled TMNT, which, by the way, I heartily recommend you all see. I believe... Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles hit the UK screens in 1989, uh, which would have made me either eight or nine, depending on the month. And uh, watching the cartoon, which followed on the heels of Ghostbusters, Thundercats and He-Man, uh, marrying up action and comedy with crazy monsters and robots, I was hooked. Within days after playground chat and perusing magazines, I had become aware of the action figures and made a beeline for Woolworths in Crawley seeking Leonardo. He wasn't there, so I bought Michelangelo and spent the evening playing with him. I vividly remember falling asleep, looking at Mikey on the shelf, and being thrilled to wake up and find him. This was notable for maybe the first time that I'd requested a toy and received it nowhere near Christmas or my birthday. The TV and merchandising marketing machine now had its claws into me. So this is kind of a, 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 a gateway moment. When did you guys get into Turtles in general? I think it's probably about the same time as you. I remember, you know, watching stuff like Thundercats and Ghostbusters, and then there was Turtles, which was great. And like you, once I found out there was action figures, oh, Lord, help me, I had <laughs> most of them. I think I pretty much came close to having almost all of them. Although I do remember, I think it was Donatello was almost gold dust to find. He was hard. Now, I've uh, I've been trawling through lists of figures, and there were series after series after series that were never released in the UK. I was actually lucky enough to get some of the second and third series, but it just kept going and going. They kept releasing figures all the way up to, like, 95, 96. Well, do you know what's really bad at the minute? Because there is a new show, yep. which means there's new figures. I've got and one. I, <laughs> and I, I am so close to buying a Mikey. It's, it's terrible. Consider it, because they actually are really good. Um, Matt, when did you first get into them? I, I honestly couldn't tell you, but I would have said it was pretty early on, because I'm two years older than you are. So uh, in 1989, I would have been 11. 11. Yeah, and I can't imagine that I was really. I remember, seem to remember, you know, being into the turtles for you know a good couple of years, but yeah. I well, can't imagine that at fourteen or fifteen, uh, I would have still been into 
into toys to that to the degree I was into the turtles. I was big into the turtles. So. Mm. I think I was so into the turtles, but it was actually over a, a kind of a short period because I know I definitely didn't go and see the. I don't see any of the films, but I didn't go and see the third film because it looked like rubbish. And by that point, I'd already seen the second film on video and gone, "Oh God, this has really gone tits up <laughs> already." There was no third film. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of revisionist history on Twitter right now. Nowadays, whenever we say yeah. like those Matrix sequels, there were no Matrix sequels. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I think the I, I didn't buy. I only ever had uh, two of the, the figures. I had um, Raphael and Leonardo. I've still definitely got one. I think I've still got both, but I don't know where Leonardo is. Um, and I've no idea where any of the accessories are because you know I was a kid at the time. Mm. Uh, but I think I got Raphael first, and I think I might have got him. I might have been given him by a mate, as just like you know, as you do like a swap for a Star Wars toy or something. And I think that might have actually been. Before, you know, sort of before the the cartoon arrived, because there was there was quite a, f- a bit of buzz about it before the cartoon ever turned up on TV. So is that right? Mm, yeah, yeah it certainly was for me. If I remember correctly, the, the one of the reasons why you were saying Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, yeah, because uh, they wasn't it. They thought Ninja was too violent or something. The word Ninja was taboo in the UK. Mm. They weren't allowed to put it. Uh, they 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 um. I'm going to talk about this in a bit when we talk about the cartoon itself, uh, but the um, the nunchucks were entirely... You know what? We'll get to the cartoon in just a bit. This is just the personal how you get in there, but yeah, nunchucks bad. I mean, certainly, they, they, they were, to me, they were the, the Ninja Turtles, not the Hero Turtles, and then the cartoon right. came along after that. So how long before? I don't know, but it was definitely before the cartoon hit over here. So Yeah, and I'd imagine as well that it, it got 10 series, but we certainly didn't get all of them over in the UK. We, we I was amazed when I saw that. I had no idea it had gone on for <laughs> We didn't even get the second series of Thundercats. It, we, we just got it up to the point where just before Thundercats hoed the movie. And then they just stopped. Uh, we, we got completely reamed in the UK uh, for entertainment and for toys. I think that might have actually started my obsession with going and living in the States so I could get all the toys and the shows. <laughs> Obviously, it's but a now completely we, different world now, but, you know. Yeah, we have DVD now. It's and excellent. imports and stuff, you know. Yes, you can get sort of what you want. Sort of, unless you live in the UK and there you can have... You can have season one of Ghostbusters and season one and two, I think, of Turtles. is the yeah. only ones on DVD here. So, let's go back to the beginning of, of Turtles. It started in 1984, which obviously that's that's a lot of my life went by without me hearing the, the, the term Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, the concept originated from a comical drawing sketched out by Kevin Eastman during a casual evening of brainstorming with his friend Peter Laird. The drawing was of a short, squat turtle wearing a mask with nunchakas strapped to his arms and was incredibly funny to the young artists as it played upon the inherent contradiction of a slow, cold-blooded reptile with the speed and agility of the Japanese martial arts. At Laird's suggestion, they created a team of four such turtles, each specialised in a different weapon. Eastman and Laird often cite the work of Frank Miller and Jack Kirby as their major artistic influences. By uh, a casual evening of brainstorming, I'm guessing they <laughs> an evening of lying around smoking marijuana, <laughs> to and be honest. Smoking, <laughs> drinking, and doing various other um, yeah. uh, dodgy ass things. Yeah. A casual evening of brainstorming makes it sound a bit like work, but I'm guessing that it wasn't at all. <laughs> Using money from a tax refund, together with a loan from Eastman's uncle, they formed Mirage Studios and self-published a single-issue comic book that would parody four popular comics of the early 80s. Uh, Marvel Comics The New Mutant, which featured Teenage Mutants, Cerebus, Ronin, and... Anyone? 
Electra. Well, Daredevil, it says here, which featured ninja clans dueling for control of the New York City underworld. Uh, but yeah, now Frank Miller and De- Electra and Daredevil were intrinsically linked, thanks to Miller. Uh, in fact, many comic fans will recognize the turtle's origin. Uh, several direct allusions to Daredevil. The traffic accident involved a blind man and a truck carrying radioactive ooze. Is a reference to Daredevil's own origin story. Indeed, in the version told in the first issue, Splinter sees the canister strike a boy's face, though in this world it is not split until it reaches the turtles. Um, also, it's completely different ooze. It, it gave Matt Murdock the, uh, you know, super extrasensory perception, and it made small turtles turn into big turtles. And a rat turn into a big rat. The name Splinter is a parody on Daredevil's mentor, a man known as Stick. The Foot Clan, uh, of evil ninja who became the Turtles' arch enemies, is a parody of the Hand, who were themselves a mysterious and deadly ninja clan in the pages of Daredevil. So it's basically plagiarism that they got away with. <laughs> it's, it's more, almost like... So it's homage. Like, yeah, it's like Space Force or something. It's parody. You can get away with a lot with parody. Yeah. Uh, the success also led to a black-and-white comics boom in the mid-'80s, where other small publishers put out animal-based parody books hoping to make a quick buck. Among them, the adolescent radioactive black belt hamsters... <laughs> Seriously, the cold-blooded chameleon commandos, <laughs> the pre-teen dirty jean kung fu kangaroos, <laughs> and the karate creatures with a K were obvious parodies of TMNT. Most of them sold to comic shops in large numbers, but failed to catch on with the comics readers. The speculation led to financial problems with both comic shops and distributors, contributing to a sales collapse in '86 and '87. Well, if you will all jump on the bandwagon, the Not mirror... that, Marvel had their hand in that one as well. Oh, yeah? Yeah, the collectors, when they got carried away with collector's editions and stuff, that also contributed to pretty much a big collapse, too. Um, there was definitely a huge uh, problem with Image Comics and... Um, their multiple chromium variant covers of, uh, like, so many dark, new vigilante superheroes in the 90s. Um, that, that, and also the artist boom in the 90s caused a, you know, a, a major, a, a major interest, which then led to a major lack of interest in the comic industry. It's sort of, the pendulum swings back and then forth again. Um, but this was in the uh, early 80s and, and appears to have affected the indie comic scene, which obviously being all of four, between four and seven, I wouldn't have known anything about. In fact, as far as I was concerned, I had never heard of the comic until I found out about it later. Uh, as far as when I found the comic, it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Adventures. Sorry, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles Adventures, and that was the Archie comics, which is a totally different animal. Yeah, that's the one I'm familiar with. I only found out about the original comics a few years ago. Yeah, uh, the Mirage series had four volumes. The last one ending in 2010. It just, it's seriously, it's been running on and off since 1984. The third volume, written in the late 90s by Eric Larson for Image Comics, there you go, includes major changes like Leo losing a hand, Raph becoming the Shredder, and Donnie becoming a cyborg. These were later removed from canon with Volume 4, which reprised the continuity of Volume 2 and put the Turtles in their early 30s. If they still called it Teenage, actually no, they called it TMNT. So what's the T stand for? 30-something... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they go sorted. I want to read this messed up third volume now. This sounds interesting. Wrath the Shredder. This should be interesting. Um, yeah, so if you do like Eric Larson, he did Savage Dragon, then, then track that one down. It's, um, 
Yeah, that's that's an, an alternative universe turtles for you, of which there are many. I don't believe this. Oh. I wish you'd stop doing that. Come on, lady, wake up. Oh. Hey, it's tough trying to carry on a conversation with you, you know? Perhaps some food would aid the young lady's powers of speech. Pepperoni and ice cream. Yeah, I want some of the jelly beans and mushrooms. Yeah, give me a slice of anchovies and peanut butter. This is seriously grossing me out. She talks. She walks. How can you eat that junk? How can you eat raw fish? Ugh. Hold it, guys. Now, April, would you like to tell us why those men were chasing you around the sewers? Well, yeah, we don't get many humans down here. I was doing a story about a bunch of thefts at scientific equipment companies. Hey, I'm sitting here talking to a bunch of turtles. And their pet rat? Who the heck are you guys? So then in 1987, the animated series started out. And this was, this, it starts as a five episode mini series, which is the one where, um, they discover Shredder and the Technodrome. They get it explained how they came to be. They meet April and, and Bebop and Rocksteady turn up and the Mousers and Baxter Stockman and all of that stuff all happens in five episodes. Um, and that turned out to be quite popular. So in 1988, they started a, uh, a long-running series that went all the way through to 1996. Uh, all of us saw this. You'd pretty much have to have been in stasis in the late 80s, early 90s, not to have seen Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles in the UK or Ninja Turtles in the USA. It was monstrously popular. Turtle mania, I believe, was the term. Um, yeah, we, like, we like our manias. We do. We, <laughs> we're a big fan of mania in the UK. <laughs> well, let's see. Beetle mania, turtle mania, Spice Girl mania, Power Rangers mania. Manias and gates we're big fans of in the UK. Yes. Now. Twilight mania. <laughs> Sparkle mania, I believe it's called. Um, shades of grey mania. <laughs> shades of grainia. Shades um, of grainia. <laughs> So yeah, uh, while living in the sewers with the rats as his uh, friends, Yoshi, Hamato Yoshi, one day found four little baby turtles, recently bought from a pet store by an unnamed boy who accidentally dropped them in the sewer. Yoshi returned one day from his explorations around New York City to find the turtles covered with a strange glowing ooze. The substance caused the turtles most recently exposed to Yoshi to become humanoid, while Yoshi, most recently exposed to sewer rats, became a humanoid rat and started going by the pseudonym Splinter. This and the uh, following Archie TMNT Adventures comics is the only origin story in the TMNT franchise where the turtles come to Yoshi before being exposed to mutagen. Also, Yoshi becomes a rat, whereas in most other versions he is Yoshi's pet rat that becomes humanoid. I believe he was a human in the 2012 series, the new one as well, and uh, becomes a rat humanoid. This is also the only version in which the turtles become fully grown immediately after exposure to the mutagen, whereas Splinter raises them from infancy in other versions. So, I mean, that actually raises the question, how long have they even been around in the uh, 87 cartoon series? Because if, they, if they're immediately grown to teenage years, then he can't have been training them to be ninja for long. Either that or they're very quick studies. Hmm. I don't buy that with Mikey somehow. Yeah. <laughs> it's difficult to keep Mikey's attention. In the UK, TMNT was released under the name... 
Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. This was due to the controversy surrounding ninjas and related weapons such as nunchaku at the time. The intro sequence was heavily edited because of this, replacing the word ninja with hero or fighting, using a digitally faded logo instead of the animated blob, and removing any scenes in which Michelangelo wields his nunchakas and replacing them with random clips from the show. Now, obviously, when I was a kid, I wouldn't have noticed stuff like that quite so much, but if when you go back and watch things like that, it is so obvious what they've done and so cack-handed. I always I was always confused as a kid as to why they bothered because you know they never changed any of the other weapons which yeah. involved basically a big stick a broom handle <laughs> which is the most easily obtainable weapon in a child's arsenal yeah. and swords. Yeah. And basically knifey daggery things. Scythe. Yeah, but to, to, a, to a kid there were knife daggery things. Which there are thousands littering kitchens all across the, yeah. the town you're in. To manufacture. You know, the the only reason we ever bothered making any nunchakers is because apparently we weren't allowed to and obviously we were going to do it then. Yeah, yeah, the whole let's not put that in and tell you because children will do it didn't really work, did it? I if they get to the point where they replace Mikey's weapon. If they'd not been taboo and if they'd not been covered up we wouldn't have gone to that much effort. Gee, it was really hard work making a decent pair of nunchucks. <laughs> you had to find chain, you had to na- it was mental. A broom handle, however, dead easy. Yes, Neil, they did change his uh, weapons to grappling hooks because it wasn't just the UK that hated nunchucks uh, and uh, um, Matt, you're absolutely dead wrong. It's easy to make nunchucks. You just get a piece of string, <laughs> sellotape it to two bits of wood, and then you swing it round and round and round, and then the string comes off on one end, and one side of the nunchucks goes flying across the classroom, hits some other kid in the head, you get sent to the headmaster's office, he says, why did you do this? I said, I, <laughs> I, I like nunchucks. And he said... But they censor them on the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Why do you even know about them? I said, it's because they're still there. They're, they're <laughs> for the love of God. You can't censor them everywhere. Uh, and also, because we all knew what nunchucks were. Panfo had them in Thundercats. The damage was done. Oh, yeah. Storm, Shadow, Adam, Storm Shadow Adam in G.I. or Action Force. Yeah. Years before that, we all knew what they were. Did I you did say- specify, the way, decent nunchucks the original, we, didn't, we didn't take any shortcuts with string and sellotape no 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 we did it properly the original um, Enter the Dragon uh, uh, movie poster featured um, Bruce Lee sort of holding up some nunchucks in the um, uh, censored version that got released in the UK they coloured over the chain to make it just one big stick why? That's a visual one. <laughs> Why, though? Why? I don't get it. I think Bruce Lee was actually the one who started everyone getting a bit worried about nunchucks. The B- the, I mean, Paul Shotton can answer all questions regarding the BBFC. When shown in the BBC, phrases like, let's kick some shell, oh, because that's, that's just unacceptable, and bummer were removed from the episode. <laughs> bummer? <laughs> The latter may be related to the British slang term for anal sex. Well, I think it's just because the word, the word bum was in there, and that's just, you know, in America, bum means um, deadbeat, tramp, but uh, in the UK, bum means bottom. The, <gasps> the series Ninja Turtles The Next Mutation was also referred to as Hero Turtles, possibly using the term hero to separate the television series from the live-action movies. I think just after that series came out, um, James Furman, head of the BBFC, uh, sadly passed away, and a lot of the anti-ninja laws got relaxed, c- 
coincidentally around that time, uh, this led to the UK and Ireland having had a disambiguation between the two animated series, uh, that was until the third one came along, using Hero Turtles to separate the 1987 television series from the other incarnations of the franchise. In 2009, a DVD of the first two seasons was released under the Ninja Turtles branding, thus bringing the version of the franchise into line with the later versions. And the show ran for ten seasons until 1996. And who's been watching it recently? I don't want to. It will be terrible, won't it? Terrible is a harsh word. <laughs> okay, it, I would prefer to keep my nostalgic goggles on. Uh, Matt? Um, I have watched very little uh, Ninja Turtles of any description in many, many years until I watched the film and a few clips of the 87 series for this podcast. <laughs> so I've avoided the disappointment of having, uh, for the most part, of having my, uh, <laughs> my rosy view of my childhood destroyed, thankfully. <laughs> it's not the worst show ever. But it's uh, it's very sweet natured and naive and comical. It won't make, it won't make you laugh. You might hang your head in your hands and wonder why you ever watched it, and you'll 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 think back to your childhood and think, was I this easily pleased? But and there will be people out there who defend it to the hilt and say, no, it's a brilliant show. It is somewhat short of brilliant now, uh, but it will take you on a trip down memory lane. So it's worth watching a few episodes. But for the love of God, don't venerate it over other versions. Yeah, it's kind of... I kind of knew that would happen because a while back I bought Thundercats. Yeah, that's not as good as I remember it being either. Yeah, Thundercats is downright dumb. Although I do, again, get a lovely, you know, twinge of nostalgia and thinking back to how, when I was that easily pleased. Or <laughs> Cosmo Cats. Yes, Cosmo Cats. Oh, I also, I love the music in both of them. It's actually really... Oh, yeah, the, the music for quite a lot of shows back in that sort of era was always really cool. Yeah. How'd I do? Three minutes, 26 seconds. Not your best time, Michelangelo. Come on! It's not my fault! Donatello put some new traps in the tunnel! Of course! I gotta keep you guys on your toes. Your turn, Raphael. Remember the importance of energy and concentration. It's hard to get too worked up over a stupid obstacle course, you know? Or just do what I do. Pretend there's a pizza waiting at the finish line. <laughs> I'll give you a better incentive. Shredder. Leonardo is right. All indications are that he's preparing to return with the Technodrome. What is it this time, Shredder? I have a new plan, Krang. But I'll need a canister of the mutagen to implement it. That chemical is very rare. Why should I waste more of it on you? I wish to create more mutants to use against the turtles. <laughs> That'll be nice. Someone new to talk to. Yeah, our own kind. Um, and in 1988, there was a uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Adventures comic book. Uh, the first five issues of that ran pretty close to the original miniseries of the uh, the animated show. And then they diverged wildly and went off into space to a space wrestling circuit and met various mutant animals you know, along the way when they came back. There was kind of an environmental theme running through it a lot, you know, to do with dumping of toxic sludge. Yeah, hmm. early 90s, thing. yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. There was a lot of, you know, we must take care of Mother Earth in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, which is, you know, quite a good uh, ideology to put onto kids, although it was forced down our throats at all turns. <laughs> Unless you let Tim Turner do it. <laughs> and yeah, so that ran for 72 issues until 1995, and I, I, I would say it's probably not all that readable 
these days at all, but if you read it back when you were a kid, probably might might bring back some happy memories. Again, these things are best left on the shelf most of the time. In 1990, there was the movie. Now, we can actually talk about this now. This is the... This can is I just call one last thing about the, the cartoon series? Something that blew yeah. my mind that I only found out not long ago. Mm-hmm. The Shredder is voiced by Uncle Phil. <laughs> from Fresh Prince, Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, yeah. Mind you, I've blown by that. Oh, I've known that for a long time, but my mind was similarly blown when I found out. It was just, no. Sure, and I listened to it, I still didn't believe it, and all of a sudden you just hear one thing, oh my good lord. All of a sudden you can't hear anything else. I'm not sure if this is better, Incredible. worse, less exciting, or more. Um, Leonardo is voiced by Cam Clark, who's like a, a legend among voiceover artists, uh, Dog Tanyon, but also Liquid Snake. Following orders blindly with no questions asked, you've lost your warrior's pride and become nothing more than a pawn, Snake. Rob Paulson voiced Raphael in the 8788 version and has subsequently gone on to voice Donatello in the 2012 version. He has the teapot? Oh, um, I might have dropped that during the fight. You dropped it during the fight? Nice going, Mikey! It's your fault! How is it my fault? You know I can't be trusted with nice things. Yeah, but it's, that's kind of cool. He's been two Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. How many people can say that? Another notable thing about the um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 88 is um, that they changed Raph's personality. I mean, that all of the them had similar personalities to the, how they were portrayed in the comics. Even the, the Mirage comics eventually became sort of in line with general fiction. But Raph is always angry in every other incarnation. In this, he was the wise-ass joker, and only in this. Yeah, he, he, he tends to be a bit more of the anger management issues guy. Yeah. <laughs> but in this, he's cool but rude. <laughs> <laughs> My God, you know, you are a party dude! <laughs> I'm ass- okay, right, I'm assuming you guys have seen the um, Donatello gets screwed vid. No. Matt, you've not seen... No. Neil, have you not seen this? No. Oh, God, you... Okay, right, it's like three minutes long and you'll love it. Congratulations, Turtles. You have completed your training. Leonardo, you show us strength and wisdom. For that, I give you this blue mask and these katanas. Thank you, Master Splinter. No, thank you, Leo. You're so awesome. Bring it in, yes. Mm. We don't hang out enough, man. We need to hang out more. Okay, Master Splinter, you let go, please. You smell like strawberries. Raphael, you're very cool, but you can also be a crude, like time you defecated on Rocksteady's face. That would be a good example of a crudeness on your part. That dude was asking for it. Oh, I know, I know, he totally was, totally. Anyway, here is your red mask and these size. They are basically glorified gardening tools. So, you know, go nuts. Thank you, Master Splinter. <laughs> right back at you. Michelangelo, you are one serious party dude. Cowabunga! <laughs> Yo, remember that time we picked up those two school chicks and had that insane interspecies orgy? Radical! <laughs> Yo, we got to do that shit again real soon. <laughs> Anyways... Orange mask and nunchucks. 
Oh, right. That's it for ceremony. Let's get something to eat. I'm starving. Yeah, pizza. Oh, yeah, pizza. pizza. Yeah, we don't get that right. often. Uh, Splinter, what about me? What the? What? I totally forgot about you. Uh, don't tell me. Uh, George O'Keefe. It's Donatello. That doesn't sound right. I named all of you after great Renaissance artists. George O'Keefe wasn't a Renaissance artist. She painted flower vaginas. <laughs> What's my specialty? I don't know. Uh, you can uh, do machines, right? I guess so. I don't really know what that means. Then it's settled, nerd. <laughs> you do machines. Now what's the ETA on those pizzas? Wait, w- what about my mask and weapon? Oh, fine. I should have eaten you when I had the chance. <laughs> Bingo. Okay. Poke a couple holes in that dipole and slap it on your face. <laughs> Instant mask. Oh, uh, this doesn't feel right. You'll you'll get used to it. Now, grab that stick out of that pile of. <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't want to. Hurry up, or your new name will be a stick. Uh, oh, Good. Now, come on. It's your turn to give me my sponge bath. Again? Uh, how come it's always my turn? <laughs> Wrong, Sarah. Master Splinter, Shredder and the Foot Clan are destroying the city. Can't you see I'm busy? You're a ninja now, so why don't you uh, go do some machines and handle it yourself, stick? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Well, if the, the, the lack of nostalgia value doesn't rape your childhood, that will. Well, they actually <laughs> Jesus. sort of refer to that in the, the new um, Genius Beat Ninja Shots 2012 because there's a point, there's an episode where Donnie is really uh, cheesed off with having to constantly use what he considers to be a worthless, useless stick of a weapon. So it's like they're actually referencing that. <laughs> which is nice. They've been looking around. Okay, so in 1990, the movie came out. Now... It's baffling to imagine how in 1988, when this film was in development and Turtle Power was just beginning to sweep the globe, they could not get much in the way of funding. This ended up being an independent film, distributed by New Line and Golden Harvest, who were usually responsible for... Neil? Nightmare on Elm Street? I was uh, thinking more along the lines of dirt cheap kung fu films. This is also true, but... Yeah, yeah no. Uh, Golden Harvest, definitely. New Line... Uh, he tends to do a lot of the independent stuff as well so yeah well, I, I meant uh, Golden Harvest specifically but with, that they pretty much um, were one of the most the major players of Hong Kong chop socky action films this is before Kung Fu came to the West and you know they started doing martial arts in Western films because they, they didn't there was a time it seems difficult to imagine now when there was no such thing as martial arts in the West on <laughs> that, that does not add up does not compute. <laughs> like these days, every film's got martial arts in it. Even Brideshead Revisited's got a Jet League scene. Anyway. <laughs> I want to see that version. <laughs> it, it was directed by music video director Steve Barron, whose only other notable work for cinema was... It's going to be something terrible, isn't it? It's going to be something really horrid. Coneheads. Oh, God, <laughs> it was worse than I imagined. Oh, oh no, no, no. Mike Bassett, England manager. Did he also direct that? Yeah. Jesus, I, I did not so. know that. <laughs> uh, although he also directed uh, the 2012 TV version of Treasure Island and several episodes of Jim Henson's The Storyteller, which is awesome. Uh, script and story were by Todd Langan and Bobby Herbeck. I believe 
one of those men left for um, for the next film, and he was probably the one who did all the good writing because the script for the second and third, the script for the second film is appalling. The third film script is written by its director and is even worse. Okay, yeah, Todd Langan uh, wrote solely Secret of the Ooze, so he's the one who can't write for Toffee. Bobby Herbeck was the <laughs> one who, uh, you know, could write for Toffee. The budget was a meager, anyone? 13 million, wasn't it? 13 million. And it made, anyone? A stupid amount. $201,995,000. million. Um, wow. <laughs> reasonably uh, successful then indeed making it one of the most successful independent films of all time I think Blair Witch Project probably made more pound for pound uh, in terms of how much it cost and how much it made back but it's it's way up there filming took place from July to September 1989 uh, much of the production took place in what doubled for New York City oh it was North Carolina wasn't it it was North Carolina with a couple of locations shot in New York City during the summer of 89 to capture famous landmark areas such as Times Square, Empire State Building and the Hudson River. At the North Carolina Film Studies, uh, where New York rooftop sets were created, production designer Roy Forge Smith and his art director Gary Weissner went to New York City four months prior to filming and took still photographs of rooftops and other various locations. While in New York City, Smith and Weissner were allowed to explore an abandoned Brooklyn subway line as they could not gain access to a city sewer, but the structure of the subway had the same principle as a sewer. They also went to a water tunnel which had large pipes running through it. So... The film itself, I mean, what, did you guys see it in the cinema or on video or what? I saw it in the, the pictures. Hang on, um, so you both saw it in the cinema? Yep. Yep. Jammy sods. <laughs> Before you get to that, I saw it in Hinkley Cinema, uh-huh. which is not exactly a prestigious, it's not exactly the, the ultimate in, in cinema experiences um, it's basically it's one of those places it's actually more of a theatre that doubles as a cinema every so often it wasn't exactly salubrious and it was quite a long time after it was released salubrious um, it was it was still it was fun it was the first time I went to the cinema um, without parents oh right me, me and a mate got dropped off and then picked up when it was finished which was pretty awesome so you'd have been like what 13 in 1990 12 12 yeah, yeah. okay I asked and asked and asked to go to the cinema to see this, and my father, and he'd never done this before, and it surprised the hell out of me, uh, got me a pirate video of it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can imagine the conversation he had with my mother. I'm not taking him. Well, I'm not taking him. Okay, I'll get a pirate video from work. (laughs) Terrible thing. And the quality was awful and already it's not the highest quality film in terms of you know film stock and production values anyway so I'm, I'm amazed I could hear and make out anything in it especially back in that day we're talking about pirated VHS mm. Ooh, and if pain. you watch those again and again they start going <laughs> that thing where the, the, the it all starts to you know the grey static lines start coming in but I've watched that thing again and again and again and I'd imagine actually it being pirate it was a pirate of the American version because all the nunchuck stuff was still in there and you guys had to make do with a chopped to bits version which I don't remember anymore, so that's all right. We were awesome. Yes, dudes and dudettes. Major League butt kicking is back in town. Oh yeah. Awesome. 
Righteous! Bossa Nova! What? Yeah. Bossa Nova? Chevy Nova? Oh. Yeah. Excellent! Yeah! yeah. The UK version was severely censored due to its censorship guidelines considering Eastern fighting weapons like the nunchaku. Alternate shots of Michelangelo were used in order to conceal his nunchaku weapon or omitted altogether. For instance, the for instance, the show-off duel between Michelangelo and a member of the Foot Clan. Also, the death scene of Shredder was heavily cut because of this. The, the it, nunchucks are an integral part of the death of Shredder. And if you have to cut that, you don't know what actually is going on. The uncensored version was released on DVD in 2005 in the UK due to relaxation of the censorship laws. But we were nowhere near as buggered as Germany. The <laughs> German theatrical voice dub version is identical to the UK version, i.e. it omits the use of the nunchucker. Furthermore, the German dubbing audio track contains several cartoon-like sounds in order to soften the violence of the fight scenes. Although the German dub of the film was released with uncensored picture on DVD in Germany, the German dub audio version with the funny noises was still kept because they were permanently merged into the German voice dubbing audio. Brilliant. Ooh. You've ruined <laughs> German history. <laughs> Poor Germans. Just import an American copy, you'll be happy. You'll get a good version. the worst thing to happen in Germany ever. The worst thing. <laughs> I'm not touching that with a 10-foot barge pole. Which was, interestingly, what uh, Donatello used. nicely done sir indeed the laws in Germany are a lot stricter concerning violence in both movies and video games because there is a certain feeling in the country that if kids are shown violent content they will commit genocide that they can't be trusted not to which is something they kind of need to grow out of keep it light well you say keep it light Bear in mind that my exposure to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and most of our exposure to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, was the 1980s cartoon. Yeah. Which is quite light and quite fun. Quite light? Have you seen it recently? (laughs) We established that I didn't want to break my roast into glasses. They throw flowers at the Foot Clan. They slip them over. (laughs) They they made the Foot Clan robots so they could slice and dice them, though. Absolutely, yeah. But you get to this 1990s movie and it's comical, yes, but... This has got a lot more in keeping with some of the original comic 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 dark in places. Yeah, there's a few a few bits of. Uh, I was quite surprised at how dark it was. One thing that doesn't happen in any other version of Turtles until um, the uh, 2003 series is that there's a, a palpable sense of danger. Uh, the the turtles are outmatched at one point and have to run, and Raphael gets really hurt and ends up almost in a coma there is a genuine sense that they're out of their depth and they can't deal with the force they're up against. That was never present in any of the other versions. For some reason in the 80s, when they were producing content for children, the idea was you make the villains as bumbling and foolish as possible, then the the heroes don't have to work particularly hard to overcome them. And it's always kind of like, well, look, you know, if you're evil, it's only because you're stupid, isn't it? And, and thus there's no sense of tension or danger or uh, anything, really. There's, so there's no, the, the narrative is dispensed with 
uh, any uh, any sense of impending doom. It will always be linked to some sort of big rolling doomsday device that has to be stopped within a certain time frame. Yeah, that's true. A lot of that, when you think back, it the villains were always incompetent. Uh, you know, incompetent. Also, he couldn't. I mean, it's so easy to do what Mumra. So easy to do what. There are times I've been watching. I'm like, right, okay. You now have the Thundercats at your disposable. Kill all of them. Don't don't mess around. Just kill them. Kill them now. But he doesn't. He just no. gloats. <laughs> he monologues. Yes. But that is the, they they were written so limply as to allow the villains to make these foolish mistakes over and over. Sorry, Neil. I cut right across you. Carry on. No, it's fine. The other thing, the other trend, which is very strange, when you think about it, so. If you go back and read the original Turtles comic, quite mm. violent. Yeah. Shredder gets an interesting demise. Um, but he gets uh, off the roof and then a grenade that he's holding blows up or something, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> gets exploded and fall damage. It's great. But um, back in the 80s, do you remember the other trend they had of taking these R-rated properties and making cartoons of them? Yeah. Conan, Robocop, Attack of the Killer Tomato. Rambo. Rambo. Yes. <laughs> And that's that's obviously what the uh, um, the for the Watchmen thing is based on. I'm assuming yeah, you guys have both seen that. Yeah, it's a great little parody thing that yeah. they did for the film. It's, it, 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 you look at it and go, that does actually look like an 80s cartoon. Yeah, it's easy from our perspectives now to go, what have they done with it? And what do they, you know that they, they they lost anything that was at the core of the actual story, and, and it's now become something asinine and over-marketed and, and very targeted, like they've got this giant checklist of things you've got to do and various ways to actually get to the kids and sell the toys. And this started probably early early 80s with Hasbro and the Transformers thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was always spurred on by Star Wars, which uh, where they were suddenly, hang on, kids are buying lots of toys connected with this movie. We could probably get this from TV as well. Hence why Star Wars even had certain now non-canon animated adventures. Yes, which are impossible to find on YouTube. I know, uh, I so want to see Ewoks again. But yeah, the, the, the whole, you know, turtleifying uh, cartoons became a huge trend, especially because the turtles became so popular. It was this, this giant, you know, multi-year long bandwagon jump. Mm. Biker mice from Mars, remember them? Oh yes, that was awesome. Sewer awesome. sharks. Sewer Sharks, I don't remember that one. Samurai Pizza Cats. I don't remember watching it, but... <laughs> Pizza Cats, of course. Um, Silver Hawks were following on from Thundercats, but uh, no one remembers them. Um, but, you know, the Turtles were by no means the first, but they were probably the biggest, if we're going to be honest. Oh, yeah. The biggest were... that were prior to being connected with a movie. Like, obviously, Ghostbusters was huge, too. Ghostbusters was always huge. Turtles was monstrous. I don't think you saw anything sort of in that vein of mass um, culture... Probably till the Spice Girls came along, really. Because they, as much as, yeah. But you think about the hype and hysteria around the Spice Girls was very similar. I'm trying to remember hysteria that is connected with that. Obviously, the Buzz Lightyear, there was a big big thing to get the Buzz Lightyear toy. And obviously, Tickle Me Elmo was in there as well. If if you're going to sort of tie up entertainment and toys together with hysteria. But those were all uh, surrounding one very specific toy rather than a phenomenon itself. But yeah, Spice Girls. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I lived through that. Uh, I, I was one of those that. that we did. I'm, I'm a reformed-aholic, I think. <laughs> I, too, want 
to actually uh, characterising the turtles themselves because we've not done that yet um, Leonardo as he is uh, seen in, in this film and in most other incarnations he's actually pretty um, pretty consistent across the board most of the time uh, what defines Leonardo as a character? Well he is he's, it's his leadership yet he also carries that sort of kernel of self-doubt mm. most of most of the times you see him this one is a good example of it and so is TMNT when yeah. we get to that, there's a good example of that in there too. So a lack of faith in his own abilities and being able to hold his brothers together. Yeah. It almost seems like too much pressure to put on one turtle. Mm. Well, I don't know if it's a lack of... It's not a lack of faith, but he's, yeah, he's definitely got, got worries that he can't do the job that everyone else expects him to do. Mm. It's, it's a, a conflict uh, between what he feels he has to do and, and what he doesn't want to do. He'd rather not be in that position. Now, Donatello in this, uh, played by Corey Feldman, in, in the voice at least, um, they, uh, you know, this is a, an unusual turn for him because in every other incarnation, even the original Mirage comics, he's the one that does machines, he's the smart one. In this, he's the jokester. Yeah, he sort of, they sort of split it off as you've got Leo and Rafa sort of always serious and deadly serious, and yeah. you've got Mikey and Don. The funny ones, yeah. The funny ones, yeah. In in this one, to be honest, I didn't really... Mike, Mike and Don didn't really have that much character to them. Mm. Not as much as in, in the, the cartoon, certainly. They, they weren't as distinct. They were just kind of larking around in the background. They were like the younger brothers, so to speak. Basically just constantly um, teasing Raphael for being too serious. And There, there didn't seem to be too much characterization, characterization for those two. It seemed to be more about uh, Leo and, and Raph than... Yeah. 
that the, the writers were focusing on, uh, I thought, you yeah, know, looking back at it this time. Two more films came out uh, in the live-action era, and they had ample opportunity to characterise Mikey and Raph as feeling a bit superfluous to the team, and neither of them, they never took the opportunity. Um, I, I think that Donnie's uh, character in this is actually um, derived from the fact that because they took away the jokester Raph and reinstated the comic Raph and made him angry again, they had to sort of fill the jokester void and they thought, right, we'll get rid of the one who does machines. We haven't got any machines in this. It's a $13 million um, movie. Uh, so let's just make D- Donnie the jokester. Yeah, Donnie, I think, out of all of them, is the one that pretty much gets the shortest shrift. He gets pretty much nothing, which is a shame because they've got Corey Feldman doing the voice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there is a, a there's a little bit there because I kind of got the idea that that uh, Mike was was the like the 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 child of the, the youngest of the lot. Donatello was much the same, but slightly older. Mm. But as I said, there, there wasn't really much to separate the two. I suppose um, Donnie's the middle child. Pretty much, yeah. That, that works with his character across the board, actually. Yeah, and and, and there's a bit where they're they're talking about when they're waiting for the pizza and stuff, and they're dancing around, and they're just doing the same thing. They're both, you know, interchangeable. Really, switch the mask. So, so kind of Mikey too. Yeah, and you wouldn't really know that you switch the, the color of the mask, and you wouldn't know which one was which. They're both. I don't doing know. The same I don't thing, know. That's so. probably about that one scene is perhaps the only bit where he gets any sort of character moment because while Mikey's waiting for the pizza he he actually says to Mikey you know do you ever think about it you know if Splinter was gone mm. you can mm. see that sort of weighing on him but that's about it and yeah. because of what happens to Raph because usually the dynamic is Raph and Casey Jones true yeah they sort of swap they they give that to Donatello in that that truck well. scene was in the uh, Mirage comics and they had to swap out Raph because he was in the bath at the time so not having a bath he was in a coma <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they, they literally just swapped swapped him out to possibly to give Donnie more to do. Mm. But uh, yeah, either way, uh, um, it's obvious that that Raph and Casey and every other incarnation are the, the two that are close together. Uh, Mikey, um, uh, possibly the most lovable in in every incarnation. I mean, he's also one of the most annoying. <laughs> But the, he gets cheers. You go, hey, it's Mikey. Mikey's probably a really hard character to do because he's meant to be about fun. He doesn't take mm. things seriously. But you get that wrong, and like you said, he's irritating. Yeah, I, I, will, I will. He's been the character I've had the, the hardest time getting to love in the Nickelodeon series so far. Yeah, he, in the new series, he does. He seems a little too dumb. Mm. And his voice is a bit annoying. Yeah. But but it's it's okay. He's got potential. I will give him time, and uh, he's made me laugh already, which is good. I think the thing with Mikey in any incarnation where they they try, you will always have that moment where he does the brave thing or the honourable thing. Mm. He has those moments, and when you give him that, it works because Mikey's meant to be sort of the I don't take this seriously. I have fun. Look at me having fun. I'm oh fellow uh, fellow master in the nunchuck, and I shall have this door with you. And then I just finish it off by spinning it on my finger, which isn't even possible, but. <laughs> He's also master of the spinning pizzas. Um <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean I, I think Mikey was actually as I recall uh, a, a lot of people's favorite turtle. And no one could really ever say why, possibly just that he was fun. I think sometimes he he was he was the way in for the audience mm. almost, you know, when something was going on they had to explain it to Mikey cuz he couldn't quite keep up, so they're in essence explaining to us. <laughs> But, I mean, he he was responsible for so much of the uh, K- 
catchphrases and the ethos behind the original cartoon that it, all you'd have to do is hear his voice a bit and you go, well, that's Ninja Turtles, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's well, true. I mean, the guacamole, dudes! Yeah, he did have that, thank heaven they picked some sort of stoner voice for that character because it works yeah. so well. I'd say surfer rather than stoner. Yeah, same <laughs> difference. Stoner, he wouldn't even get up for a ninja training. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, but yeah, you would be surprised if Mikey was a stoner. There is a certain amount of crossover in the two cultures, most definitely. Um, in fact, in uh, Point Break, one of the FBI agents teases uh, Johnny Utah and goes about his surfing and goes like totally rad, dude, sounding exactly like Mikey. Wasn't that Gary Busey that did that? Oh no, no, no! Uh, Gary Busey is on. Um, uh, I think he's next to uh, Johnny at the time. And uh, it's basically, you know, it's like in Bad Boys where, you know, there's the two cops and then there's the other two cops who tease the two cops that we're supposed to like. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Been a while since I've seen Point Break, to be fair. And Bad Boys. <laughs> we no, I am Bad Boys. This coke your mum came in and snorted it all up. Of course you don't like Bad Boys. It's Michael Bay. No, I am, I actually do like Bad Boys. <laughs> It's it's before he got utterly terrible. It's I, before they sucked his mind out, I think. Interesting link. He's still doing the film. Oh, no. Oh, it's okay. No, I blocked that from my time. mind. We'll talk about it next time. Just put it from your mind for now. Um, Raphael is the, uh, the the last guy we need to talk about. Um, and that he, most of the time, is my favourite turtle. In, in the 2012 Nickelodeon one, it's actually Donnie. I really like the way they've characterized it. But it still sort of is Raph. Oh, yeah, as in, as in, like, it's the same voice as, uh, as Raph yeah. before. Okay, yeah, I'll give you that. Actually, in, um, the original cartoon, I think in all seriousness, it's probably Mikey in retrospect now. I think everyone loves Mikey from the 80s one. I, uh, he, I think that was just, just enough over the topness in that 80s one that it works. I think, I'm- um, watching Raph whenever he does his one-liners and goes, boom, boom, shh, they're not funny by today's standards. Yes. That's very true. <laughs> so it's hard to watch someone trying to be funny and actually not being funny. He's like a, a really cheap Vegas comedian. It's kind of funny. I would say with this one, uh, with the 90s film and TMNT, Raph is probably one of the better characters. He's the best character. He's the most tormented. Uh, Nolan North plays him really, really well in uh, TMNT. Yes, he, he really... Raph, uh, yeah, get that film, watch it, people. It's awesome. Uh Raph in this is actually notable for the fact that Josh Pays uh, is the only person who plays both the voice and the character. So effectively, he's doing a Hellboy. He's acting through the suit. And I, I believe he probably would have, like the rest of them, had his voice dubbed over afterwards. But he's actually embodying the character of Raph. Well, that's interesting. Maybe that's why Raph comes across so strong in this one. Yeah, that would, that would stand to reason. I, I would have loved to see the Turtles, um, if all of them had taken the role that seriously. It doesn't actually have to be a serious film necessarily, but you know, just to just to yep. really get into the characters, you know. Yeah, but Donatello would have been pretty short then. Yeah, uh, Corey. <laughs> and of course, they'd have had to swap them out every time there was some martial arts because um, they they had actual uh, stunt um, uh, performers. Uh, Ernie Reese Jr., who turns up as Kino in uh, Secret of the Ooze, was Donatello's stunt double in this. Huh. He was the kid in Surf Ninjas. No, that no, we're not talking. No, move on. That doesn't exist now. <laughs> no, I've seen it. I just don't ever want to remember. I watched it. Not Leslie Nielsen's finest hour. 
Anyway, so yeah, Raphael in this, definitely my favourite character in this, and he's, um, there's a bit where he, where he comes in and he's been out late and Splinter talks to him about his anger that actually always gets to me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play that now. Raphael, come sit by me. Couldn't this wait till morning? You will listen now. My master Yoshi's first rule was possess the right thinking. Only then can one receive the gifts of strength, knowledge, and peace. I have tried to channel your anger, Raphael, but more remains. Anger clouds the mind. Turned inward, it is an unconquerable enemy. You are unique among your brothers, for you choose to face this enemy alone. But as you face it, do not forget them, and do not forget me. I am here, my son. And, and yeah, the, the, most of the emotion and most of the um, acting comes from his conflict with specifically Leonardo as the voice of the group, because Mikey and Don uh, act like, you know, mommy and daddy are fighting again, let's leave the room as soon as possible, each time they, they go loggerheads with each other. But it's, uh, you know, Raph kind of doesn't know what he wants. He wants to be the leader, he wants to be on his own. He's Wolverine. Mm, yeah, yeah, actually, I can see that. That's a good example. Mm. The one thing I noticed when I was watching this film, the movie that Raph went to see was Critters. Critters. <laughs> yeah. And also, I don't think... Jump up with this stuff. He didn't even like it. I know. <laughs> Which is odd. I thought, given the Turtles' history, he'd have loved that stuff. Does that have a, a very, very young Leonardo DiCaprio in it? Or was no, it... that's Critters 3. Oh, sorry, Critters 3. <laughs> <laughs> well done, though. I own the box set. Yes, you do. Uh, Matt, are you been, surprised now you've been straight <laughs> silent on the the subjects of the turtles yeah I, I agree Raphael is, is certainly the, the comes across as the strongest uh, of, of the characters in this film mm. um, as I said uh, Don and, and Mikey didn't really get to do much other than lark around and, and kick people um, and Leonardo was, was played a bit too straight but uh, I mean Raphael was always my favourite turtle anyway because it was the first toy I had which <laughs> is a fairly childish um reason for it but at the time I was still a child and uh, that's just kind of stuck with me so um, yeah I mean I think I think the fact that the same actor did the, the body and the voice for, for Raphael did seem you know watching it through as, a, as an adult did, did come across fairly well that mm. he just seemed a much stronger character there is, as long as you've got patience and you kind of like the mythos, there's plenty of stuff for grown-ups in this film, which the second two absolutely do not have. Yeah. <laughs> which is a yeah. shame. Yeah. Splinter, played by Kevin Clash, who is more famous for Elmo. Uh, again, really fantastic performance, really great bit of emotion in there. And um, as we said before, usually Splinter is portrayed in, in the more popular stuff as a human who became a rat thing. Whereas in this he's more sort of in the same boat as the turtles. He's not been cursed with a rat-like existence. He has effectively been given uh, human responsibilities. 
which actually changes his character. It's the one problem I always have with this is I like the cartoon mythos of it, the man turning into the rat. Mm. Whereas this is a rat that turned into a man. This is also a rat. Well, he was a rat. The Kuntu Karate yeah, that, that, that did stand out to me as a bit of an issue, is the fact a rat was doing karate. No. Yeah. No, no, yeah no. Let's, uh, let's completely ignore the fact that these involve mutant turtles and just look right now at the karate rat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This says something when this the karate rat stands out. Is the problem. It's like so it's- Hamato Yoshi is practicing his karate and the rat's going, hey in his cage. <laughs> Like, surely you can just take him on the road and make that a rat circus. He can teach a bunch of rats karate. Like, this is one exceptional rat. He's a radical rat. It, it's odd when you come to think, yeah, this is a movie with mutant turtles in. That's it. Suspension of disbelief, fine. Yet the rat breaks it. And the rat they, isn't a mutant rat at this point. He's just a rat. Yeah. You know, so he shouldn't be able to do any kind of standing up on his back legs, for instance. No kicking. There's no kicking if you're a rat. <laughs> <laughs> no kicking if you're a rat. There's got to be a meme in that one. To be fair, he's also a Japanese rat. It's not like he's some sort of, you know, New York sewer rat, which mm. are massive. Yeah. Well, uh, Japanese rats are smaller, but they do know karate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> New York sewer rats have got the size, but the Japanese rats have got the training. That has got to be racist. <laughs> Somewhere we are being terribly racist. Sorry, sorry, Japanese. Any Japanese rats listening, we're sorry. Also, when, when the turtles mutate, they talk. How? They have no actual reference points to say pizza. <laughs> and you know that's Mikey who said it. Of course it is. And then one of them was going, radical, radical, radical. <laughs> <laughs> Why do people stop saying radical? For 15 years now, we have lived here. Before that time, I was a pet of my master Yoshi. Mimicking his movements from my cage and learning the secret part of ninja. When we were forced to come to New York, I found myself for the first time without a home, wandering the sewers, scavenging for whatever I could find. And then, one day, I came upon a shattered glass jar and four baby turtles. That was us. <laughs> the little ones were crawling into a strange glowing ooze from a broken canister nearby. I gathered them up in an old coffee can, and when I awoke the next morning, I received a shock, for they had doubled in size. I too was growing.
Michelangelo, Donatello, and Raphael. So, yeah, Splinter is, uh, along with the rest of the Turtles, a creation of the Jim Henson uh, workshop. And this was uh, one of the last films that was made under Jim's supervision because he died very, very shortly afterwards in, uh, in 1990. And it, I think that was probably the best thing they could have done for this film, being independent, is getting Jim Henson involved. Yeah, absolutely. Because the animatronics in the head, because it is only the head that's animatronic, are fantastic. Yeah, they still hold up today. They do. Well, These some things were a little dated now, but when you consider how old it is, and hmm. you realise just how incredible, I, I remember how good it was when I was, you know, in nineteen ninety when I first watched it as a kid. It blew me away how good it was, and the fact that it isn't rubbish now is, is you know, testament to how good it. Well, the testament would also be if you look at everything that came afterwards that involved animatronic heads and how awful they are. <laughs> Honestly, it, yeah. This, it just reminds you what a bleeding genius Jim Henson was. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I do recommend um, uh, the uh, documentary Being Elmo, which is all about Kevin Clash. Uh, despite Kevin Clash's uh, more recent personal life situation, um, the actual film is, is incredibly inspiring and inspired me before I found out. Yeah, I, w- I would recommend that film as well. It is. Forget what's going on now. That's that film is truly fantastic and when I looked up and I went Kevin Clash is Splinter it was it was like mind blown again <laughs> you would never think it yeah you would never tie it up with and go well that's obviously Elmo isn't it <laughs> any more on Splinter uh, the fact that they got the right person to play me in TMNT though Christ yeah we'll talk about that next time but geez. Jesus yeah. Jesus if he was still around, he might still be playing him in the uh, Nickelodeon show because uh, Andrea Romano's doing the uh, voice casting, so I think she probably would have at least name-dropped him. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so April, played by, uh, in this time, and the only time, because she was recast for the uh, second and third films, Judith Hogue. Mm. <laughs> and also, Sharon, what, what, what would we call her attractive by today's standards? And she said she's attractive in an 80s way. <laughs> I was like, that's an awfully backhanded thing to say. <laughs> like, we like you, but you do have a perm. Um, I, I was actually, when I watched it and very carefully twice recently, a little impressed by her several times when, you know, she doesn't have to act a lot of the time, but she really does throw herself into it. You know, the, the bits in the farmhouse uh, and the bits when she reacts to the turtles when she sees them for the first time, she's, you know, full-throated going for it. So, you know, props to Judith Hogue for that. Um, for you know, Because she could just have snoozed through that role and just been a pretty pair of tits in a yellow Mac. But well, which we see once. <laughs> yeah, with, that's kind of a little, a little nod to the cartoon, I'd imagine. You know, it's not a fantastic character, but um, she does her best with it. Anymore in April. She's, uh, she's there. There's not a <laughs> yeah. lot to. There's not a lot, a lot to this April. She's at least not annoying. Yeah, she doesn't no, get I mean, kidnapped. A lot of the time, she the yeah you know, seems to be written to to basically do the the one liners and be the sassy um, journalist that is a very stereotypical character as it's written. But as you say, at, at times. She, she acts beyond that the writing and, and does a pretty good job. So the character itself is is just there as as the woman to be a a foil in love interest for Casey, I guess. What the hell was that? I don't know. Well, that was a crime. You purse scrubbing pukes. And this is uh, the penalty. Two minutes for slashing. Two minutes for hooking. 
And let's not forget my personal favorite. Two minutes for a high stick. How about a five-minute game misconduct for roughing, pal? Hey, bogey. Now, who died and made you referee? You did your job. Now, get out of here and let me do mine. These JV lowlifes need to be taught a lesson. Not like that, they don't. Not from you. Well, it looks like you're the one who needs to be taught a lesson, pal. Class is paying 101. Your instructor's Casey Jones. Look, I don't want to fight you. Well, tough rocks, pal. Hey, what are you, some sort of punker? Huh? God, I hate punkers. Especially bald ones with green makeup. We wear masks over ugly faces. Ooh. Strike one! game roundhead cricket cricket nobody understands cricket you gotta know what a crumpet is to understand cricket I'll teach you six months slow freak I got what to do freak Freak! And then there's Casey Jones, a nine-year-old trapped in a man's body, <laughs> played by Elias Coteus, who would go on go on to better roles. Uh, I think when I was a kid, I thought this guy was the tits. Mm-hmm. He was awesome. <laughs> he gets to just wander around in a hockey mask with sports equipment, beating the crap out of people. He was one of my, you know, he, he was like the fifth turtle to me. Sharon actually audibly ground her teeth whenever he spoke. Oh, dear. (laughs) I think possibly the term Broadzilla might have upset her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they don't do a good job with Casey in this, do they? I I think no one's ever told him to be responsible, and so he isn't. There's a fan-made film Mm -hmm. floating around YouTube that's about Casey Jones, which is really, really good. And it's sort of his backstory. You might want to watch it. What's it called? I can't remember what it's called, but it's not for kids. It's violent. Let's find out. Uh, I will Google. say, though, one of the bits I did laugh, you, you talk about the yellow Mac being a nod to the cartoon. Yeah. They've got his mask spot on. Oh, yeah? His mask is very similar to the cartoon one. Right. Uh, Fan made. Watch the full Casey Jones movie free. It's called Casey Jones. <laughs> Nice, they even use music from the 1990 Turtles film. I will say it is very dark and it is kind of violent. Okay. They they didn't have to uh, necessarily include this character. He doesn't necessarily move the plot along, but uh, as a fan favourite, obviously, I think it it livens it up. And I I do like the fact that, despite the fact that when he met Raph, they ended up fighting and he ended up really insulting Raph and throwing him in a bin after hitting him in the face... With the cricket, cricket bats. Then when he sees Raph's in trouble, he actually goes in to rescue him, which is a nice little touch. And obviously this is the, an incredibly shallow character, an incredibly shallow moment. But, you know, he didn't have to try and rescue him, but he does. And he gets a cool entrance in that bit. Yeah. Uh, you guys want to tell me what to do with my little green pal over there? And then he ruins it. Whoa, who is the babe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's more more indicative of 90s movies than anything. Mm. Uh, uh, so what was Barbed Wire the antithesis of this? 
I make no comments about Bob Wire. Good. Another film that doesn't exist. Yes. <laughs> oh, no, no, it exists. It's in my collection. No, it really doesn't. So anyway, I mean, he... Hallucinating that, my friend. Technically, Casey's actually very important to the film because he completely changes around the mentality of the foot gang. He, he's the one that gives them the sort of inspirational speech that, you know, shows that these guys are not family. Which is kind of odd, but yes, he does. Yeah, after hitting uh, Master Tetsu in the face with the golf club. Um, yes. <laughs> speaking of the Foot Clan, Shredder uh, in this is uh, actually genuinely scary and intimidating, which he hasn't been in many other scenarios. In the 03 uh, show he is, and in the uh, 2012 show, played by Kevin Michael Richardson, he is. Uh, yep. But in this, this was pretty much the only bit. Yeah, I don't like the 03 Shredder, though. Oh, no? Yeah, we'll get onto that when we get there. But okay, cool. The only problem with this Shredder is he's Liberace Shredder. He is quite gaudy. And <laughs> Sharon, I mean, Sharon asked, "Is his hat made out of wicker?" <laughs> yeah, they, they go for an interest. The helmet and the spikes look very good, but it's, it's spangly shirt. It's the <laughs> not so much sparkly red top and bottom. It's like ooh, it's all floating. <laughs> That's a bit bright. But he does fight well, at least. I think they, they clearly got a martial artist in rather than an actor. Yeah, he, he creams the turtles. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you have The one thing you have to believe about the guy is that he's tall, he wears armour, and he could beat the turtles, even if they were fighting him all at once. Again, this is not deep stuff we're talking here. You, you know, you've got to have a good villain, and in this he is a very good villain, apart from the costume is a little bit silly now. I suppose back then maybe it didn't, or maybe just watching, you know, in HD, perhaps the colour popped more than the makers intended. Hmm. The one other thing he does do, which is above and beyond, is to be extremely uh, powerful figure in manipulating these kids. Uh, this is something that doesn't really come across in any other version that I've seen. But um, the, the the idea that he's kind of like, I suppose the equivalent would be um, someone who forces kids in the third world to be soldiers for him and, and kind of, you know, he's um, them. I can't remember the character's name from Oliver now. Uh, Bill Sykes. Sykes, yes. He's yeah. sort of a Bill Sykes character. Yeah. Well, no, he's, less psychotic. he's Fagin, isn't he, really? You've got to pick a pocket or two. Sure, no. that's Tetsu. <laughs> no. Tetsu <laughs> is the removed psychotic. Tetsu, uh, Tetsu is the removed psychoticness of Bill Sykes, I think. So does that make Sam Rockwell Roger Dodge, Roger the Dodger? Roger the Dodger? Roger Dodger? I'll come back. Come the Artful Dodger, I think I'm you're looking for. For some reason, the Beano. Supposed to Beano character. <laughs> I'll leave that in. Does that make Sam Rockwell the Artful Dodger? Sorry, Dickens, the Beano came in. <laughs> it was there first in my head. <laughs> Anyway, Sam Rockwell's in this in a, uh, <laughs> a fantastic, charming roller coaster ride of a first performance. Does he dance though? Regular or menthol? <laughs> uh, he doesn't dance. He just sort of, uh, you know, sneers. That's pretty much all he does. One of the weak points is actually Danny. This that uh, that, that kid. He just uh, he just seems like a grumpy, surly, dislikable teenager. You could say, well, that's actually a really good performance then, because that's what he's supposed to be. He comes off as very average. Yeah, he he just comes across as a mm. a little shit. Yeah. And mm. uh, obviously, he's the one who ended up shopping the turtles in and doesn't really redeem himself. Well, he sort he, of he does. He gives April her money back at the end. Yeah. You know, and he kind of on the way, I suppose. <laughs> but he gets um, uh, Casey to help him save Splinter. So, yeah, okay, yeah, he does. 
Uh, and it's obvious that he sees that he's gone wayward and that maybe this will have turned his life around. Ultimately, he's kind of the unsung focus of the side, the B-plot of the film about the Foot Clan. He's sort of like, a, again, he's sort of a, a way in with the audience, isn't he? he? He's there for the audience so they can see through his eyes what's going on, I guess. Mm. Um, his dad obviously appears to be uh, nursing a peptic ulcer a mile wide as well. Sharon said, he's something of a control freak. <laughs> you think? However, the point when he phones up and fires April over the phone, he gives no reason and no cause, and he could be absolutely sued to buggery for that. <laughs> it's, the, the reason is, you keep making the police look bad. But, you know, there's no court in the land that's, that's going to go, yeah, sure, fired without any kind of prior warning or any kind of leeway period. So, I don't know, it's it's New York. It's a, it's a, it's a dog-eat-dog world. But there's lots of lawyers there, too. The action sequences um, actually don't feature that much real, proper martial arts fighting. It wasn't really until the the 03 Turtles that they did any real fighting at all. Because, obviously, yeah. they, they just needed to sort of cut robots in half in the 80s. And then in, in this, it's, there's, there's far too many kind of comedy moments, like, like spitting water in the face of a Foot Clan guy. Yeah, why were they trying to drown a turtle? Amphibious. <laughs> they they do their best to actually kind of you know pull back the uh, the violence and make it. It's, it's not like they're they're being really violent back to the foot. No one gets stabbed despite the abundance of blades there. Although it's interesting to watch that uh, gets the costume design works really well for what action scenes they do. It does have a flow. They don't seem to be. Um, they are able to do a fair amount. You'd imagine that the uh, the costumes, if done wrong, they'd be very clunky and they'd hardly be moving at all. Yeah, if the costumes were done wrong, we'd be watching Batman. Yeah, it's there's a parallel with Batman and the Turtles, actually, because um, they were done so badly in the late 90s that they had to go away for a long time <laughs> before they could come back and be forgiven in a more serious mode. It's like they, they were getting to the end of the 90s and they were just drunk. As I said they. The marketing teams were drunk on their own power and going, kids will buy any old shit. Let's just shovel them anything. And, and then eventually these things crumbled out from underneath them. It's like, what did we do wrong? Possibly not hiring good writing teams. Just yeah. the first thing. But yeah, no, the, the, the action is good fun. And uh, you know, I, it's not so uh, intense that I wouldn't let Lyra watch it, you know. She watched it. She's, uh, she quite likes this movie. She especially likes the cowabunga ending for some reason. Well, by the other part of the ending, the oops part. The, That's a little twisted. Yeah, that where Casey Jones accidentally crushes Shredder ostensibly <laughs> to death. I mean, he came back in the sequel, but, you know, his bones were splintered and he was ground into a pulp by a, a, a garbage truck. Possibly the grenade would have been a mercy. <laughs> That, that, that is one of the odd little things about this film. It, its look is very dark and very. It tries to evoke the comics. Mm. The, the end of the Shredder is very violent. Yeah, there's a lot of sort of comedy and lightness in the Turtles. It's very strange. They balance yeah. it pretty well. A lot better than it, it's done later. It's um. I, I think I still think that when when I was this age, there was never a really perfect Turtles balance at any point. I, I, even at 10, I thought that the cartoon was a bit goofy. And the n- movie, possibly because I was watching it on friggin' pirate video, just felt really dark and grainy and, and dour and miserable. And I was obviously used to the bright colours of the uh, the cartoon. Yeah, it's kind of odd. It's, it's still it's just like that. The, the, the death of the Shredder is just one of those moments that stands out as 
That's a little dark. Yeah. But in comparison to certain other, you know, Brand's first live-action movie films, Michael Bay's Transformers, for example, it actually does hold up uh, in, by today's standards. It's not too long. That's a good one. It's, I mean, it's just certainly not the best-acted film, but uh, for what they had, it's quite impressive. I, I wonder if the limitations actually spurred them on to, to do this, because sometimes you tend to find when a film's limited, they tend to be more creative. Mm. Well, they certainly got very lazy for the next two. They had, um, you know, 25 and 22 million dollar budgets and, you know, compared to 13 million and they achieved almost nothing with them. In fact, they actually went backwards. Quite literally. Nice. The soundtrack obviously sold a bajillion copies despite being mostly rubbish. Anyone else have it? Yes. Yeah, I used to have it on tape. <laughs> it featured This Is What We Do by MC Hammer, 9.95 by Spunkadelic. <laughs> oh, God. So much comedy from that one in the playground. And Turtle Power by Partners in Crime with a K, which erroneously claimed... Raphael's the leader. power. That Raphael was the... Sorry, yes, no, you're absolutely right. It's not total power, it's T-U-R-T-L-E. <laughs> it erroneously claimed, as you said, Neil, that... Raphael's the leader. Ha- a mistake so head-slappingly obvious that not one person on production noticed until it was too late. The film was in theatres and they were getting crayon letters from four-year-olds. I said to Lyra, he just said Raphael was the leader of the group. Who's the leader of the group? She went, Leonardo. I went, yes. <laughs> you know this, but they didn't. It's not even like the, the show hadn't even come out yet. It had been out for three years. So what we've just proved there is Lyra is more intelligent than a rapper from the 90s. Well, that I could bloody well do. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, she she certainly likes her turtles. I mean, that that's been good. I mean, I'm doing. Uh, I've just done a My Little Pony um, Friendship is Magic show, and the one show that could claw Lyra away from Friendship is Magic was the Nickelodeon Turtles. So for that, I'm very grateful because she's now into all kinds of ninja action. <laughs> and you don't have to watch My Little Pony. I do like the show, but I can't watch it all day. <laughs> I don't think anyone should be asked to. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the film came out, and, and to to riotous, um, uh, lots and lots of people saw it. Like I said, two hundred million. A lot of parents dragged to the cinema by their kids. Um, I would imagine they probably got a lot of complaint letters saying too violent, uh, and because something happened in production between then and Secret of the Ooze, which came out less than a year later. 
I think it came out in March in 91. They would literally have been filming that yeah. as this one was going. This one finished. And I don't know what they did, but they changed the the cameras they were using. They completely changed the lighting. They appear to have changed the sets. Uh, they Corey Feldman couldn't do the voice for Donatella because he was in rehab. Uh, the plot went out the window. The acting went out the window. The action went out the window. Everything. The story went out the window. <laughs> so far, it was ridiculous. It's just awful. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Use, is just awful. Except for the fact, it's not the worst one in the trilogy. It's still not the worst one in the trilogy. <laughs> I haven't even mentioned the vanilla fucking ice, isn't it? And it's still not the worst one in the trilogy. <laughs> oh my god, there's a pit near the end. They get thrown into a club and he's dancing away and goes, Yo! It's the green machine gonna rock the town without being seen. Have you ever seen a ninja get down? <laughs> oh my god! It's the worst thing in the world! This bit! And roll the place with the power of the ninja turtle face. Iceman, you know I'm not playing. Devastating show what the turtles are saying. Ninja, ninja, rap, ninja, ninja, Dancing on stage with his, his waiter friends <laughs> in their posh little suits doing white boy rap. Ah, this guy sold 11 million albums. <laughs> 11 million copies of his first album. Um, and did so much damage to white rappers, it took a decade for it to be fixed. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's nonsensical. It's rubbish. They, they were going to have Bebop and Rocksteady in the film, but uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird said, no, that was a really stupid idea. So they had Tocca and Razor in there instead, who were basically the same thing, and they don't really talk. And were less fun. The only odd thing I can say is, you do know that Tocca and Razor... <laughs> Voiced by Frank Welker. No, actually have ended up turning up in the 1980s cartoon. They did? Yes, they did. Right. Probably in one of those series we didn't get, but they did appear. I did spot them in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Forever. Yes, they were in there too. Oh. Yeah. David Warner was in this film. He's that um, really serious actor who uh, played Billy Zane's man in Titanic. And he's doing his best to be dignified here, but it's it, he's playing a mad scientist. It's a ridiculous plot. It's something to do with ooze. Yes. It's clearly gone, let's make it as much like the TV show as possible. I think what happened was, it was purely, everyone must have just said, it's too dark for kids, it's too dark for kids, and they literally took all that, that dark edge away from it. And it's, it's, any- it's not like just the dark aspects of it were what made the first one good. They took away a lot more. It's, mm. they took away any sense of caring about it. This is a lazy film. And it's still not the worst one. I know. Matt, did you see this film? Nope. Are you going to see this film? 
No. Is the right answer. It's <laughs> too lucky. Bastard. At the end, <laughs> Shredder gets mutagen um, that the ooze uh, spilled on him, and then he falls through a thing, and then they find him again, and he's massive, and he's wearing even bigger shoulder pads with bigger blades, because when he mutated, he got bigger... Blades. Uh, it's Super Shredder. That's on any level. He is indeed Super Shredder. And do, do you know how they beat him? They drop a pier on him. No, they don't drop a pier on him. They just stand there and he smashes a bunch of pillars and then a pier falls on him. Yeah. It's just like some planks. That is that is one of the most frustrating things. You had that really great showdown in the first film. You get to this and you think, oh, great big showdown. Oh, he's even more powerful. How are they going to... What? Just some planks. After all the ninja, ninja, rap, ninja, ninja, rap. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, this is... Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't angry and hateful of this film until I saw it again recently, and I just thought, you know what? This was originally this sort of the, 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 the joining point between when the turtles became terrible and when they were good. But now it, it's the point where suddenly there was nothing good left in the franchise. The Turtles franchise had by now immersed itself in the food industry, with characters from the franchise appearing on numerous food products. Royal Gelatin Desserts adapted the ooze name into their product to feature the turtles on their packaging. The boxes included various recipes involving ooze in some form. Now, I'd have loved to have been at one of their cocaine-fueled meetings where they're like, we could make our gelatin dessert ooze. Yeah, it's disgusting. No one will eat it, but it could be ooze now. You know, some, somewhere, some, there was there was this young aspiring screenwriter who saw this and went, Ooze, Ooze, that's a great name for a villain. Who's, who's Ooze? Ivan Ooze. In? I'm not saying, but I, those of you who know that are just laughing and going, you watch that? Yes, I did. No, no, come on, embarrass yourself publicly, come on. Ivan Ooze. <laughs> now that Alex will have more fun. Uh... Oh my god, Super Sentai <laughs> Power Rangers! <laughs> Power Rangers the movie, oh yeah, that was the name of the villain. Okay. I, I was not lucky enough to see the Power Rangers movie in the cinema. I did. Yeah. More on Saban in just a bit. Uh, 1993, which actually seems like quite a, a slow turnaround time since the first one took less than a year to come out. Suddenly this next one's two years. Uh, Turtles 3. There's certain ways, right? You know a franchise is in trouble. Yeah. It goes into space. Time travel, body swap. Time, or, or, or dimension swapping, you know, if you take place in a, say, a sort of a, a barbarian era, Beastmaster 1. Uh, <laughs> you come to mo- what is modern day, Beastmaster 2, you're in trouble. Or obviously, PSX, this rule does not apply to time travel movies in general, though. Your franchise goes back in time. Another one is if you do a reboot with the same actors from the first film. Basically just enacting roughly the same... Ghost Rider 2. Highlander 3, the Sorcerer. <laughs> We're just, it's, it's... No, 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 no. You have to understand something. Highlander 3 is good. All right. In comparison... Because it followed Highlander 2, which is god-awful. Again, I think we're talking about apples and oranges here. Rotten apples and rotten oranges. <laughs> I will take a forgotten immortal over Zeist. MacLeod, you're going to die. James Berardellini gave Turtles 3 one out of four stars, citing that any adults accompanying their kids will have to invent new and interesting ways to stay awake. Not only is this movie aimed at young children, the script could have been written by them. Writer-director Stuart Gillard went on to film Rocket Man, and in a fit of creativity surpassed both these endeavours by once doing two poos in one day. 
<laughs> Stuart Gillard is the man to blame on Turtles 3 because he wrote and directed it. I don't know why they gave him so much power. I don't know why at no point in the film did someone step in and say, sorry, Stuart, Stuart, do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you're doing? Because he clearly didn't. If you actually watch it, it's utterly nonsensical. It's so boring. It's so boring. I've, had, I've tried to watch this film four times this week. I've watched it in chunks. I still haven't got to the end. I've seen it in the past before. I don't need to tell you. This film is utter crud. This film is unwatchable tripe. It's an atrocity. You think I would have learned from seeing two at the cinema? No. Did you see this in the cinema? Yes. You poor bastard! <laughs> it's the only time I've seen it and I never want to see it again. It's the same utter rubbish, but much, much bigger and louder than it would be at home. I've, no, I've not seen this one either, and I'm not going to. Do you know what I saw instead of this in the cinema? Something a hell of a lot better. No! Street Fighter! <laughs> you know what? Still better. That's still better. <laughs> it is still better because I can actually watch Street Fighter now all the way through. It's actually a hell of a lot better. It's still rubbish, but yeah, this, there's this appears to be bits in it. This appears to be utterly, utterly terrible. I'm going to kick Bison's ass so hard the next Bison wannabe is going to feel it. <laughs> Come on, you impotent UN troops, let's go in and invade Bisonopolis. To be fair, it's the only way, you know, someone of a, a certain age at that point could actually see a Jean-Claude Van Damme film. That is a fine point. He did quite a lot of R-rated stuff. So. And then you went, this guy's no good. And then someone showed you something, say, like, Hard Target or Nowhere to Run. You went, bloody hell. I, I do like Hard Target. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Turtles 3 was, was utterly terrible. It's the, the law of diminishing returns as well, literally. Uh, first film, 13 million made 201. This second film, 25 million made 78, three times its budget. Third film, 21 million made 42, sorry, stole 42 million dollars from well-meaning but weary parents. Uh, so that pretty much killed it. Even though they made twice as much, they figured that the fourth one, they'd make, what, half as much again, if that. Or, or maybe just, Make good films. I don't get why, with such a valuable franchise, they just didn't try and they just didn't care. I assume it's something along the similar lines to Highlander and The Crow. That a certain, I know this is true with The Crow. There's a guy that owns the rights to it. And one of the reasons why there's so many uh, sequels is he literally just has a drawer draw full of screenplays. And anytime he needs a bit of cash, he knows it's a, it will make just enough money. He just pulls one out and makes one. And that's why you've got so many god awful, yeah. god awful sequels to a film that should never have had a sequel. Eastman and Laird did not take um, particular uh, strong roles in any of the production of any of these um, films, or uh, I think they might have been involved in the first one film. But yeah, it just seemed like they were um, just signing contracts left, right, and centre. Going, yeah, yeah, stick them on, on toothpaste. Yeah, yeah, you could have a Pizza Hut thing. Yeah, yeah, you can do, you can do this. Well, at least that. Pizza Hut makes sense. Pizza Hut does actually have a, uh, a tie-in, which, by the way, leads us to one of the most cripplingly awful sections of the turtle history, coming out of their shells, <laughs> which I'd forgotten until I found it today during research. I remember watching on Oprah, it was to- I was told the Ninja Turtles are going to be interviewed. I thought, what are they going to do here? <laughs> are they going to bring in the Dim Henson turtles from the movies? Are they going to do, like, like comic characters on the screen? What? And it's like... Imagine, um, folks at home, if you will, blokes in green jeans 
and denim jackets covering their lack of shells because that would have been too expensive. Um, and almost entirely immobile full head turtle masks on their heads coming in, sitting on Oprah's sofa and pimping what is effectively a touring concert show, sort of a rock opera, kind of. I mean, to call it a rock opera implies some sense of creative drive behind it. Um, <laughs> but it, the urge to make money. Yeah, it was sponsored by Pizza Hut. One of the songs, which is unfortunately quite catchy, is called Pizza Power and ended up in the Turtles in Time arcade game. What they were basically pimping was them pretending to be turtles on stage, miming Milli Vanilli style. The the actual actors from the cartoon sort of, you know, read out their lines from a script to an audience of befuddled children staring in uh, just uh, jaws on the floor as they then proceeded to play guitar, well, mime playing guitar and dance around on stage singing about pizza. It is abominable. It's also... It's it's entirely eth- what how did I describe it on um on, on Twitter? Let me just tell. Alex's brain has melted. That's <laughs> that awful. It's just so awful. It, hang on. Uh, ex- vile exploitative faux rock and roll tour sponsored by Pizza Hut. And I'm going to play you some of it now. But you're going to have to really go to YouTube to actually experience this because you need to see these people. Please, G- please do. G- we had to suffer, so should you. <laughs> jiggling around on stage. And the horror. The horror. The bit that made me laugh the most is when a bunch of dancing pizza boys come on. Pirouette <laughs> in perfect time to the music. And Jesus Christ. So that's what we're doing here, dudes. We're bringing our music to all who will listen. And what do you think the first song we wrote was? That's right. It's about the one thing that really gets us going. Yeah, and it doesn't matter whether it's Sicilian or regular, deep dish or extra thin, by the slice or by the pie. What is it? Pizza! We love it! (laughs) What is it? Pizza! It gives us our strength! It is what we devour when we eat it. What do we get? Pizza power!
I, I don't think I've described it uh, in, in with enough horrific detail to really do it the injustice it deserves. But uh, yeah, uh, TMNT coming out of their shells live. Just just check it out seriously because it's 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 heinous. It's horrific. Okay, come on, clap with me. And yeah, it's just yet another product that the Turtles license was slapped on. And I think it would appear that Kevin Eastman has uh, had a lot less to do with Turtles and was, you know, a lot more to do with being able to retire and become an incredibly rich man. And Peter Laird has uh, come back to his creations in subsequent years and actually been a guiding hand, which is, I think, kind of important because it, it, it keeps the creative teams in line. I actually think it's it's very important to have if not a creative consultant of the original author, have some ties to them. Like, uh, you know how um, Steve Clovis uh, was in constant contact with uh, Joe Rowling for the Harry Potter films, just checking, you know, would this be okay to make sure that it, it stayed true to the actual vision? And there is a certain amount of discipline that comes with that. When they're not involved at all, they just, you know, get sent the check and that's fine. It allows things like Turtles 3 to happen, where someone like Stuart Gillard can just go nuts or, or rather not, just trot out a really crappy script, shoot it, and then rake in the cash. Paycheck movie. I'd imagine he probably didn't get paid much for it, but uh, it's it, it, it was, there is something very deeply cynical about how over-marketed the Turtles became in the uh, mid to late 90s. Oh, God, yeah. As in, not even mid. From, say, 1990 onwards, they were everywhere, and it was appallingly you know, oversaturated. And it was a bubble that absolutely had to burst, and it deserved to, and it should have done. Um because you you can't keep people that interested in one thing all the time. Even Batman has to come in stages. Yeah, you overdo something too much, you, especially to the extent that the turtles were everywhere. People will get tired of them. It doesn't matter how good something is; you will get tired of it if it's all over the place and in your face twenty four seven. I don't know. Star Wars is still carrying on somehow. Yeah, but people are still fed up with that, though, aren't they? Adults are fed up with it. Kids are still lapping up Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah, but bear in mind how long that was after the, the original trilogy. Yeah. Uh, the the prequel trilogy came out, so it's it's a di- entirely different generation. Yeah. Whereas the turtles was the same, effectively the same generation. No, you're absolutely right about this. Absolutely flooded with it. I think uh, what I'm, I mean in Star Wars cases, I'm actually surprised that it's still going on right now. I think you know, sometime around 2009, it should have subsided, and then we would get another um, uh, resurgence back when the uh, the new films come out. But because of Clone Wars, it's actually managed to, to just keep going. So it's it's almost like it can sustain it up to the next big swell where adults suddenly like Star Wars again. Which may happen, or we may get to a, a, a sort of Turtles thing happening, because Disney now have it, so, yes. Uh, when you say a Turtles thing happening, do you mean like hammered Disney, into the ground again? Yeah, hammered into the ground because it's Disney. The, the Disney own Marvel, Disney own Star Wars, Disney scare me sometimes. They really do. Yeah. They, they, I think Disney might own me. But through some weird subcontract, I might be on one of their lists. <laughs> <laughs> you sold your soul to Mickey Mouse. Uh, do you know what the the bad thing is, folks? We haven't yet come to the lowest point. Oh no! In 1997, the next mutation, produced by Saban, uh, who uh, in charge of all the power. <laughs> He's beating his head on the desk. Produced by Saban, who are in charge of the the Power Rangers series, which are still going. Uh, ran on Fox Kids for 26 episodes until 1998. The show's most notable contribution to the turtle's mythos was a fifth mutant turtle, a female named Venus de Milo, initially named Mei Pei Chi, uh, who was skilled in the mysterious arts of the shinobi and wears a light blue mask that was braided at the back, giving the appearance of a ponytail. Venus was portrayed by Nicole Parker and voiced by Liliana Lynchberg. Venus de Milo only appeared in The Next Mutation. In 2007, in an interview, uh, director Kevin Munro uh, of, of the TMNT film elaborated on the instructions Peter Laird gave him for TMNT. See, he was creatively consulting with him. Munro admitted that among these rules was there's absolutely no mention of Venus de Milo, the female turtle. You can't even joke about that with Peter. It's just one of those things that he hates with a passion. See, The Next Mutation is famous for one thing one episode uh-huh. they actually had a crossover with the power rangers so therefore power rangers and turtles exist in the same universe those turtles do yes those turtles. those are not my turtles <laughs> hopefully they were stepped on by a megazord yeah um, actually, it was made uh, clear in uh, Turtles Forever that there are many, many, many universes with different turtles in them. And I was look, keeping an eye out for it because it shows you flashes of different ones. I did not see the next mutation anywhere. Yeah, it's that bad they don't even reference it in that. Yeah. That's, that's something. This is the Turtles product that no one ever speaks of. And I'd never even heard of it until I saw a DVD on a shelf years after this had come out, like 2005, and went, what is this? Yeah, I, I think it's just not known because no one knew it existed. I mean, looking at the front cover, I just assumed at the time, it looks like a really, you know, cheap-ass knockoff of it that took place several years after they'd finished the films and didn't have any imagination left. And then I checked the blurb and went, oh, it actually... It is. <laughs> yes. And if you have Netflix, folks... It's on it. It's on Netflix. Oh I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's put it up there. I mean, I've gone, oh, hell no. When Lyra watched it with me, she was just disgusted for the whole time. She said, what's wrong with Splinter? Because he's just like this bloke in a foam suit. 
<laughs> There's a point where he's playing, Splinter's is playing chess in the park, only for the first one, that playing chess in the park with a friend, and he says, I must go. And his friend says, well, go in a bush, no one else is around. P-jokes. Um, and at the very, very end, Lyra asked, because it, she was just revealed, why is Leonardo a girl? <laughs> <laughs> I said, she's not. She's Venus de Milo. And Sharon piped up, how come she's not named after a female Renaissance painter? To which I said, well, the people who made the show couldn't come up with any decent female Renaissance painters. Um, and I don't think anyone can. George O'Keefe. Yeah, I don't think I... Is there any? I'm not going to say there isn't any. I'm just saying, is there any? Cause I'm, I'm sure there are, but... Uh, I think literally my 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 only knowledge of Renaissance painters is literally from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Raphael, Donatello, Michelangelo. <laughs> That's terrible. I, my my mother-in-law was... Uh, Lyra was sort of showing her a turtle, turtle's book, and she went, oh, yeah, Leonardo, Michelangelo, Costello. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, she, because she of course remembers it from when um, Sharon vaguely liked them a bit, a little bit when she was a kid. But you know, she was no she was nowhere near gripped with the turtle power that I was. Uh, but yeah, no, Lyra at least likes them and um, has a has a, a thing for them and has now started running around like a ninja. Which uh, to run like a ninja, folks, you have to put your head forward, your arms back in a V. <laughs> Which style over your 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 body and just run like an arrow as fast as you can, weaving in and out of things. And if you're very lucky, you won't trip and fall on your face. That is the correct style. way of doing so. Yes, yes, that's excellently taught. They do that in uh, in uh, the 2012 Nickelodeon show, and it looks awesome. But uh, I could t- I could tell that that's going to really create some playground face mashups, which are going to be far worse than nunchucks. But, on uh, the bright side, at least it's not Shira. Of course. Anyone who's played Mark of the Ninja, by the way, uh, A, will recognize that way that ru- they, they run, and B, will probably agree with me that a Mark of the Ninja engine Turtles game would be totally awesome. Wouldn't that be totally radical, dude? I would say bodacious. <laughs> <laughs> I have always liked Cowabunga. <laughs> We've got to finish now. Oh. It was an opening. I had to go for it. I know. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, after years of low quality output, deliberately skewing younger and dumber, the franchise was laid to rest. It had been a marketing behemoth, but ultimately required a period of absence at this point. Like Batman, it could not simply change gears overnight and bring in new audiences. It had to pass out of the spotlight and hibernate, allow kids to enter the scene with no concept of turtles so that they could be introduced properly. Likewise, adults who were sick to death of seeing their green faces on every bit of merchandise that offered them a contract needed to miss them. It would be five years before the four brothers emerged again with a new attitude far closer to their original incarnation. And we will talk all about that next time. Any more on this first first dynasty of turtles? Should we call it Gen 1? <laughs> See, unlike Transformers, there's not a clear deal, there's not a clear gap between them. It just it's just a downward spiral. Yeah. That increasingly gets faster and faster than more once you get past Turtles 2. Yeah, I think Turtles 2 was probably the, the breaking point where it suddenly, like, you know, it freewheeled after that. There was nothing good. I would imagine there were probably one or two good episodes of the 88 series, and apparently once Shredder and Krang were gone, the series got a little bit darker and closer to the original comic. But um, to, to the point where the, the Turtles, when they turn up in uh, Turtles Forever, are, that takes place before that series ended. 
so that they had more adventures to go on. Yeah. Yeah, by and large, that this is not a, a period in Turtle history that I really like to look back on. The only real bright shining light still uh, for me is the 1990 movie, which I actually, uh, you know, has held up uh, for, for what it cost, for when it was made, for who it was made by and with. They actually did pretty well for themselves. It's not brilliant by any chance. By yeah, there's still bits you'll look at and you'll go, oh, there's, there's jokes you'll grow out and there's, there's yeah. bits that are obviously intended to, to appeal to kids. Yeah in air quotes uh, that you will cringe at but I was I kind of went into this with a, a wince already on my face at how bad it would be and I was pleasant, pleasantly surprised to find it wasn't actually ter- it wasn't terrible at all I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it again it uh, doesn't feel have that focus grouped feel that everything mm. else in this generation had it's unique in the franchise I think hey what mm. Ralph you're awake. Yeah. How do you feel? What's the guy got to do to get some food around here? Hey! Hey, he's awake! He wants some food! Uh. Bring some food! You're going to be okay, Raph. You're going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, Leo. Get a grip, will you? Listen, Raph. About what I said before. Uh-huh. You know, about not needing you and all. Like, Leo, don't. Oh, boy, we missed you. It's a Kodak moment. (laughs) 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 The the tapes were put out at $24.99 each, which shows you how much videos cost back in those days as well. But even that was cheap compared to looking at the early 80s stuff. I remember um, Giles put this uh, this picture up of the uh, early 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 video. Jesus, is this a real thing? I'm going to send you this, and you tell me what the packaging resembles. I know BMX Bandits is real, but they've done it very specifically to look like something. Whoa! <laughs> Neil gets it. Yeah, because that's the Transformers background. Totally, the and toy fun. specifically. <laughs> I've never seen BMX Bandits, but I know that Tony loves it. I have heard of it. I have never seen it. I've se- I can't remember it at all, but I did. I did watch it as a kid. It was it was huge. Everyone wanted to watch BMX Bandits, um, but yeah, I can't remember it at all now. I should probably watch it. Uh, Neil, you've also said that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1990 film, this first one, uh, actually looks pretty good on Blu-ray. Yes, I um, I have to beg, steal, and sort of borrow a, an imported Blu-ray version of a friend of mine and. It looks amazing. Considering it has a budget of 30 million, the production design in certain aspects is absolutely gorgeous. You can see textures in the, the costumes that the turtles wear. You can sort of see, see the skin textures and the details that was really, really well worked into, into the costumes. The shells as well look fantastic. There's the odd few moments where you'll notice that the costumes may be a bit squidgy perhaps <laughs> like rubbery or yeah, it's obvious you, they're bending in a way that would hurt yeah. them gotcha but other than that no it, it looks really really good Shredder looks uh, you see the detail in the costume and that's why I called him Liberace Shredder because yeah <laughs> sparkly red really uh, I found it uh, this is a, uh, a picture of uh, Frog Dreaming also called the Go Kids 
And this was a uh, like 1982-ish film with Henry Thomas from E.T. They've deliberately made it look like Star Wars with that, but look at the price tag. Yep, <laughs> that's about right. The early 80s. £59.95 <laughs> for a video. Well, bear in mind, video... Not even a good video. <laughs> you have to bear in mind, at that time, VHS was new. Home viewing was something completely new, and the, the movie It's like industry, a cinema in your home! 12 inches high! <laughs> And bear in mind, the industry did not want it to happen. Ah, this will kill our industry. Home videos yes. won't want to go to the theatre anymore. Yeah, that's the exactly what they said. In any way. Of- it gets better. There was a, a head of a studio who put forward the idea of having self-erasing videotapes, as in you watched it once and it erased itself. They actually thought of that again later with DVDs. The rental thing was going to be that you rented it and then it erased itself so you didn't have to take it back. What an awful waste of materials. Uh, I think it was called DivX, not the Kodak that you now have on your computer. I think it was called DivX or something along those lines where the, the DVD would basically degrade Yeah, and be unusable. Back when they first came out, the, there was actually rumours of DVD rot because the original materials they made DVDs out of, they would degrade just naturally over time anyway. That wasn't, you know, by design, but because that's early versions of, say, 12 Monkeys or Fargo, or like the earliest DVDs ever, uh, are now unwatchable. I'll have to test that. I have a very, 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 very old copy of Interview with the Vampires. Do you remember those DVD cases where you had to, like, push them to, like, from yep. the bottom to get them out of the top end? It was, yeah, horrible designs. All the, all the really super thin plastic ones, which I think my Alan Davis stand-up's in. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, a 1990 film, is actually not difficult to get hold of uh, on Blu-ray. Um, so it's only available in the States, but you can get it imported for not too much on Amazon, so I'm going to do that. So yeah, check the Blu-ray out. It, you, it, it's a good transfer. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. So um, let's leave you guys now, and I think the only thing we can really finish on is T-U-R-T-L-E power. <laughs> Enjoy yeah. having that one stuck in your head, folks. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, this is, this was the, uh, song that I believe I requested at the school disco at least once. Oh, God. Imagine body popping to this. I was the king of the dance floor. <laughs> no, you just thought you were. No, I was, I was that kid who, uh, was doing like Michael Jackson moves that everyone else backed out of the way of. In your mind. Well, not just in case people, they, they were backing away, not to give me space, but just so that I wouldn't poke them in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> they were running away is what they were doing they were running in clearing the decks <laughs> so that was me doing that to this this is T-U-R-T-L-E powered by Partners in Crime we will be back very soon with the second phase of the Turtles movement which has actually been almost exactly the opposite it's been a continuous rise in quality so look forward to that. If you like the turtles at all, you'll, uh, but haven't been keeping track, you'll find out about a lot of things that uh, you might want to check out. And if you know about them already, you'll have fun hearing about them. And it has Nolan North. And it has Nolan North. And uh, Sean Astin. And Sarah Michelle Geller. And Marco. <laughs> and Captain Picard. And Captain America. <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. Okay, see you guys next week for Multiple Captains. <laughs> Remember, folks, Raphael is not the leader of the group, despite what this propaganda tells you. See you soon. I have always liked Cowabunga. 
On the half shell, they're the heroes for. In this day and age, who could ask for more? The crime wave is high with muggings mysterious. All police and detectives are furious because they can't find the source of this lethally evil force. This is serious, so give me a quarter. I was a witness, get me a reporter. Call April O'Neil in on this case. Hey, you better hurry up, there's no time to waste. We need help like quick on the double. Have pity on the city, man, it's in trouble. We need heroes like the Lone Ranger. When Tonto came pronto, when there was danger, they didn't say we'd be there in half an hour. Cause they displayed turtle power. Hot on the trail, determined to put these crooks in jail. She spied the bad guys and saw what happened, but before she knew it, she fell in a trap and got caught. Yeah, she was all alone, with no friends and no phone. Now this was beyond her worst dreams, cause she was caught in by some wayward teens. Headed by Shredder, they were anything but good. Misguided on love, they called them the foot. They could terrorize and be angry youth, and they'd mug the people who needed proof. Then from out of the dark came an awesome sound. Shouted Cowabunga as they hit the ground. From the field of weeds, the heroes rescued the flower, cause they possessed turtle power. The battle got the enemy wishing that they stayed at home Instead of fighting these ninja masters with moves like lightning They were once normal, but now the mutants Sprint is the teacher, so they are the students Leonardo, Michelangelo, and Donatello Make up the team with one other fellow, Raphael He's the leader of the group, transformed from the norm by the nuclear goose Pizza's the food that's sure to please These ninjas are into pepperoni and cheese Back to the story, it's not hard to find Ninjas not just of the body, but of the mind Those were the words that the master instructed But a letter from Shredder had Splinter abducted That was the last straw, spring into action Step on the foot, now they're gonna lose traction Now this is for real, so you fight for justice Your shell is hard, so you shout, they can't dust us all Like some old coffee table Since you've been born, you've been willing and able To defeat the snake, protect the weak Fight for rights and your freedom to speak Now the villain is chilling so you make a stand Back to the wall, put your sword in your hand Remember the words of your teacher, your master Evil moves fast, but good moves faster than light Shining for your illumination Good versus evil equals confrontation So when you're in trouble, don't give in and go sour Try to rely on your turtle power
either Eastman or Laird or both of them signed any contract that came their way that got... Well, they've admitted that in the past, that once they realised they could make money, they did. Jesus. I, if, I suddenly, if I came up with a comic or a book or some kind of sellable property, I would whore it out <laughs> as much as humanly possible. You have no ethics. All of the money in the world. And well, then yeah, I have money much. to have ethics. Right now, I'm far too poor to have any kind of ethics. <laughs> I can't afford ethics. So basically, if, if I uh, got you know paid you a thousand pounds a day to, ba- to to grind to sort of turn this handle, it's basically a child grinding machine. You'd do it anyway. Like a thousand pounds, no worries. Throw the five minutes back, bring me out, do it. I'm wondering if it will work. If I, as I say, if I <laughs> got and people wanted to license it, I would let them license it for everything. Jesus. And then I would make all of the money, at which point I wouldn't let anyone license anything I ever did again until I checked it out the first time. I'd be able to afford to have ethics. I can't, I can't afford my car tax. I certainly can't afford fucking ethics at this point. <laughs> Any way I can find to make money, I will happily take it. When you point. said car tax, I thought cart axe. <laughs> axe that you keep. Beside your... Well, well, I've got my, 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 my car axe here, isn't it? <laughs> That's when I get, you know, road agents moving in on me. I got, I got to go to the car axe. Can't, you can't go around with a, with a normal wood axe in a car. That'd be bloody ridiculous, wouldn't it? Specialised axe for specific cart-based violence. You've got to have the right kind of tools for the job, ain't you? Good lord. Anyway... <laughs> We shall talk about this shameless whoring, no doubt, at some point between now and the end of the show. Ready? Yep. Okay. Cowabunga? Cowabunga? Booyah. If you don't finish the episode by saying, you made a funny, I will be disappointed. Uh, I think I will only, I will say that offhand when I make a funny. Okay. There was a point in the cartoon, the 88 cartoon actually, where uh, uh, Shredder said, Ooh, I made a funny, and it seemed so wrong that he was saying that.